Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You're listening to Lesson 13, Gender Confusion. Um, all right, I'm going to bring this back up again. Um, if you remember what these are, what's W? Western. Western, yes. Um, Educated. Yes. Educated. You know why? Do you remember what? Industrial. Industrial. That's right. Industrial. Democratic. Democratic. That's right. Doing good. E. Ex Christian. Ex Christian. That's right. Okay, and then the R. Romantic. This kind of the industrial kind of gets into the the rich. Uh, yeah, and I'm really going to focus on no, not that one. This one and this one. The D and the R. Uh, so we're going to talk about um, gender confusion. Uh, another term uh, that's really more of a popular like clinical term is gender dysphobia um and um gender dysphoria apologize um d-y-s-p-h-o-r-i-a it's in your notes um and that so that's kind of the the clinical term for transgenderism and uh, the reason why we're bringing this up is number one because we've been talking about biblical manhood and womanhood and this is a major issue Culturally, it's a major issue on this particular uh, subject of manhood and women, womanhood, because ultimately it's a rejection of God's lordship. Uh, God, God created men and women. He did not create a subcategory of kind of confusion, <laughs> right? Um, where and so we get into um, that. Really, that's kind of the core. It's kind of some of the things I talked about on Sunday when I preached this a rejection of God's authority over people's lives. Um, it really kind of comes down to that. Um, has, let me just kind of ask this question. Anyone um, know of anyone who is considers themselves transgender or has changed their preferred pronouns? Like a few of you, okay. You mean know personally, not know of. Yeah, someone you know personally. Someone you've interacted with on this particular issue. He didn't just change his pronouns, he changed his sex. Okay. From what to what? A man to a woman. Man to, did did uh, he change his name? Yeah. What's, what's his name? He was artist and now he's Millie. Millie? Millie. Millie, okay. And the worst thing is, though, that she is a wicked priestess. Okay. So do you? So you actually uh, do you embrace? Do, so you call him by she? Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah. There's a friend of mine changed from a girl to a guy. Well, what she wants to try to say is a guy. Okay. Um, so is, is she? Which she, is it? She to a he? Yeah. More fluid. That is. <laughs> well, no. She went through. The, uh, okay. Well, she went through the. Yeah. Right. 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 It's interesting because, like, it really does get very 
you get really you have to be very careful with your 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 under, the way you even explain it because you want to keep your biblical categories constant, right? Someone really actually cannot change themselves from a man to a woman, right? Because God created them with one sex, and so they are artificially changing themselves, but objectively they are what God created them, right? And hence the dysphoria, and actually I think, and we're going to get into like how to minister to them, that really what's going on, yes, there's a rejection of God's lordship and his creation, but there's also a confusion. Like legitimately people are confused, and, they, and the culture is not helping. They're making them more confused. Yeah, you had one, right, Bryce? Yeah, I used to. My cinematographer, she or he was a male than female. And just, I mean, I traveled the country with this person, but, like, it was hard to, like, get the gender right all the time. You know, like. Right, right. Because it's confusing. Right. It's confusing. She, she was, like, a, I mean, I I don't know, I tried to be respectful, but, like, it's also, like, hard for me to lie to myself. But that's just me personally. And and I'll say, while, like I said, there's... From a biblical standpoint, it is an, there is a, it's an objective truth. God creates you either male or female. But it's difficult, and as you care about people, right? You care about people, people that you know, people that you have love and care for, and you want to, you want to, like, respect, while at the same time, like, acknowledging biblically that you can't change your sex, right? You can't change your, your gender. Like, you are what God created you. But at the same time, you want to... And someone's like, well, I want to be called a she, even though it's a man. And you have to tiptoe, too. Right, and you have because to tiptoe. I'm, like, I'm going to lose my job if I say he to right. the she. Right, right. And it gets in, in, and we'll get into this a little bit um, about what to do in scenarios. Right? If this is a job, you're, you're working for a company, and you are required in an email to put your preferred pronouns and then respond to them with their preferred pronoun. Right? It makes things really difficult especially as a Christian, right? Um, I want to give you a little, um, it's interesting, before Danny, Danny Burke was here in the summer, and if you remember he came and preached on Sunday morning when we were in the fellowship hall, and then actually also spoke that Sunday night. And he has kind of been, from a, um, from a biblical standpoint, he has written quite extensively on sex and gender identity and providing just helpful insight on the topic. Um, and I had walked up and, and talked to him. Um, actually, around that time, maybe a month before that, um, The Economist, um, a British magazine, wrote pretty extensively on gender dysphobia. And um, it really kind of helped define some terms. And actually, even though The Economist is definitely not a Christian magazine, and actually I would say... They're probably more conservative on economic uh, topics and issues, but more liberal on social issues. It's interesting because they're European. It's a British magazine. They actually did a really interesting job of showing the difference between how Americans view this topic and how Europeans view this topic. And actually, it's opposite of what you're thinking. You would think that Americans would be more conservative and Europeans would be more liberal, but it's the opposite around. On this particular issue... Uh, Europeans are far more cautious and actually using science far more than what Americans are doing. And I want to talk a little bit about what's actually going on and why it's so concerning 
Um, and if you do have, like, if you're a teacher, um, they are. So um, some of these, um, some of the, let me give the terminology right, because I wrote it down just so I, um, so that I can, so there's, there's something called gender affirming care, gender affirming care. And this, this, this came out of the Netherlands in like the 80s. So you're kind of right. Like they were the first ones kind of, but what they've come to realize from a scientific perspective, that some of these gender-affirming care strategies and steps are not helpful. The What they're doing in America is, is so if you have someone, and I'll, let me give you some numbers. This will be um, helpful to you. So in America right now, in 20, and this, this study was done in 2022, um, 1.6 million Americans consider themselves or, or, or consider themselves transgendered. <clears throat> 1.6 million. Now that number is not just adults. That number is 13 year olds and up. Okay. Of the 13 and up, of the 13 of the youth age, let's just say that way, youth age, 13 to 18, 300,000 consider themselves transgendered. Okay. Um, let me give you some more numbers. Just to, I, I think this is helpful just to tell you, like, the problem is getting worse, which is not a big surprise to you, right? Well, what's becoming a problem is, is that the way that counselors, especially in the school systems, are how they're, they're doing gender-affirming care, okay? Um, let me see if I get my numbers here correctly. Okay, so um, let me just give you a definition of gender dysphobia, Okay. Gender dysphobia, dysphoria, I'm sorry, and my, I've always wanted to say phobia, dysphoria, my bad, gender dysphoria. The way that it's spelled, you're almost like mentally just go to phobia. Gender dysphoria, it's a feeling of intense discomfort with your biological sex. A feeling of intense discomfort with your biological sex. So again, it's a feeling definition. It's an emotional it's a psychological condition. It's how it's kind of defined. Um, in 2021, this is amongst teenagers and children. There's been 42,000 new cases or diagnosis of gender dysphoria in 2021. Most likely that number is probably rising, not declining. Okay. So let me tell you what gender affirming care is. So if you have if you have a 15-year-old and they they have this again a feeling of intense discomfort with their biological sex. I mean maybe another way to put it is they are a girl who feel like they're a boy trapped in a girl's body. Okay. They go to their guidance counselor. They say I feel like I'm a boy stuck in a girl's body. This is how typically the steps go for gender-affirming care. They start to get counseling, but then are quickly led to puberty-blocking drugs. 
And what the viewpoint on that is, is that, well, here's the deal. If you, if you have this discomfort, what we'll do is we'll slow down the hormones and the maturity of the, of the, of the sex you don't want to be. And so the view is we'll give you more time to figure out what you are. Americans are far quicker with, uh, with, the, with the, the blocking drugs than the Europeans are now. It's because the Europeans are saying, like, the problem with using these, 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 these uh, puberty-blocking drugs is that it's having a negative effect on them. And it's causing some, some, some conditions that are starting to... Because what they're doing is they're not, as a 13, 14, 15, and 16-year-old, when they should be growing, maturing, in, in the biological sex that they are, you're preventing it from happening. So you can just guess what would happen if you're a 15-year-old and you took puberty-blocking drugs for two to three years. Like, what would that do to you? How that would affect you? So the Europeans are saying, do not be so quick to give these drugs. And the Americans... And I want to go back to the Democratic and Republican issue, romantic issue. Someone feels that they are something else, and that what they're being counseled to do is just embracing what they want to be. And so the counselor is like, well, that's what you want to be. We need to make sure that we quickly affirm you in that change. And this gets into the issue, and we're not going to go too deep into this, of issue of science and politics, where in America, politics tend to, conquer, tend to overrule scientific observation because we tend to think things politically. Well, again, we're so democratic. We want to care about people's individual rights. Even though science goes against this, we want to affirm people's individual rights. They feel a certain way, and we want to affirm that feeling. Does that make sense? implications. I know how mentally it could affect them, but physically, actually, you're blocking puberty, but could it cause anything else? So one of the biggest issues, like for a boy, you're not going to grow. You talk about 15 to 18-year-old, that's when boys start to grow. You block that, what's going to happen? Smaller. Smaller. Same with girls. As they mature as women... You're getting into like, you know, periods and all these other things. These kind of natural progressions in the maturity of a biological sex, and you're preventing those, especially at a pretty important age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that. To, I don't know if that's true, but you're, you're probably you may be right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not that's not the end of it. Okay. Um, that's not the end of it. So after the drugs, they will start to start to kind of give these cross sex hormones. So they'll start to introduce testosterone to girls and estrogen to boys. But then it doesn't end there. And then that's when you get to the point of like physical changes, right? Um, 
where you're actually, for, especially for girls transitioning into boys, where you actually start to do surgeries. And you start to provide artificial genitalia using different skin parts of the body. Now you're starting to kind of cut and in some ways manipulate and construct. What's happened is, is again, the gender dysphoria, the, what's happening is, is they're wanting to affirm people. They want, again, go back to the feelings. and You are what you think you are. We're here to help you become what you want to be. You have individual rights. You're, you're an individual person. We don't want to get in the way of your individual decisions, so we're going to come alongside and affirm where you would like to go. Even though the science says otherwise, we don't want to get in the way of what, you're, what you feel you are and your individual rights. Okay? Yes? Are school counselors being told that they have to affirm when someone comes in? That's where the issue with America and Europeans. Europeans are saying, just do counseling. Counsel the gender dysphoria. And you know what? After counseling and extensive counseling, if they want to change gender, then then you move on to the, the puberty blockers and the hormones and you get into the surgeries. But what happens during the counseling? Are they affirming that they want this change, or are they trying to say, look at this again? Or? Yeah, they're providing more scientific data. Okay. It also depends on the counselor. It does. But where America is getting into is there's a, again, where your politics are and where the science is. Where, where do you, what's happening is if you, if you were a teacher and you're a counter and you said, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? The politics is telling you, no, 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 no. We ha- the way that we show affirmation and value is we accept what people want to be. Right. So teachers and public teachers coming out of the universities, the state universities, and I've had several friends who have kids that are 22, 23 that are graduating at this point from UT Knox, UT Chad, you know, Memphis, all those schools, and they are taught as part of the teaching program, the educational program, that they have to. They have to, by federal standards, affirm gender, you know, any type of gender mm-hmm. care. When a student comes to them, they have to provide gender affirming. They have to get counsel, but they have to have books that affirm both in their libraries. I mean, there's very specific criteria for the kids. We know this because our Christian kids, you know, that are going through it, are struggling. Yeah. The ones that are coming out of the public institutions from the collegiate. Yeah, but we all forget that this is federally mandated. This comes down to the Federal Department of Education. Public schools don't have a whole lot of say. And again, it goes back to these two things. That's why I wanted to... It goes back to these two things. What, and this, this may never have entered your mind, but what this stuff is, is good intentions. What they're wanting to do is affirm people's individual rights and their internal feelings, Right? seems ironic to me, though, like you romanticize the individual and to make, you know, gender-affirming care because you're, because you individualistic, but then you're told, like, federally, you don't, you don't get to have that uh, opinion. As a teacher, you're taught you have to do it this way, but, like, we romanticize the individual and their gender-affirming care, right? Because, again, this is, this is a psychological issue, they have an extreme discomfort with them, who, like who they are, right? 
And so from a clinical standpoint, we have to help them and give them access to what they want to be. No, because it's about it's about the individual rights of the child and the youth. Not about your individual rights. You have the individual right to choose whatever sex you want to be, but they want to be this, and you do not have the right to get in the way of that. But the problem is, is that we're talking about children and youth. Um, I know Jordan's experience with that because at her school, it's not the kids, it's the parents. The parents are doing this to the children. But there's no second grader that has like confusion on their gender. Right. But the parents do. And they are in her case, at least with the two students she deals with, it is the it's not even the mom, it's like the aunt who's taking care of them. Yeah. Choosing this for the kids. I get the Epic Times, which is a very conservative <clears throat> newspaper. And this week, one of the big major articles is that many of these children are encouraged by their parents who themselves have this problem. Well, let me, let me go a step further. There are parents who don't want their kids to be gay and so actually encourage the transgender. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like shooting. Yeah. That, hence, is just kind of the the craziness. But again, it I, we're going back to these these terms because it really since 1776 we've been on this course, and now we're getting to the the outcomes of the extremism of individualism and romanticism. And hence the sh- hence why I get I get where we tend to be kind of outraged, but if we look back at how things move historically, it really isn't that surprising. It really isn't. And so for us as Christians, I think what do we want to do tonight is to not we don't want to be always outraged and oh my goodness, how shocked we are. It's the sinful world, right? The world's fallen and broken. And the, what we need to do is not to be so shocked and outraged is how can, because what's going to happen is, as the statistics show, actually what's happening is, is some of these children, these kids, are now like realizing they made a horrible mistake. And who, yeah, it's too late. And guess what? The parents weren't there and the, the guidance counselors weren't there to help them like process like their junior dysphobia, their confusion, their you know, we were all that age at one point, right? That's an age of a lot of confusion. <laughs> and we need adults to help us through the confusion, not affirm us in our confusion. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're confused. We'll just embrace what you're confused about, and we'll just let that go on its course. Like, no, like, it needs to be help and love and care given. But it's not, right? It's not being given. Um, I know it's been said a thousand times, but it still boggles my mind that... There are so many things the government has zero problem regulating because they know teenagers' minds are not fully developed. Like alcohol. Yeah, yeah, sure. To drink alcohol, to smoke, to do your own medical consent, to get a driver's license, to rent a car, to rent a hotel room. There's all kinds of things that the world, even in America, accepts as there's an age limit for this. But these really extreme things, because it's so tied up in emotion and it's so tied up in people's particularly the adults' perception of themselves as social justice warriors. 
Because I've, right. I've seen document like documentation of parents who they're pushing their kids to be trans so that they can feel like they are a progressive parent. Sure. They are so accepting. Sure. And that they're part of the solution. Right. Even if their kid has no real interest in it. Right. Hey, right. You can't get a tattoo, but you can chop your parts off. Yeah, that's right. You can chop your parts off. Didn't Europe pull back, though, in part because they realized it was social contagion with the numbers? Say that more time. Didn't Europe pull back in some ways because they realized it was social contagion with the older kids, especially with the numbers because of stats that you threw out? Yeah. They're, they're just so, from a, a statistical standpoint, you don't have that kind of increase right. you know, in numbers that quickly. So, yeah, parents are a problem. Absolutely, in the young ones. I mean, that that's just you know, pretty, pretty obvious. But in the older kids, where we see it in the older kids, there's a lot of social contagion there. Sure. You know, they're very. Um, it's very easy to impress upon them. Right. With their peers. Right. Um, for change, especially if they're uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yeah. You know how how to deal with that is going to be really important. Yeah, and of course we live in a culture of of extreme expressionism. I mean, if you post on social media that now. I'm a woman when I was a boy. Like that's you get like all this affirmation, right? Um, and it's a lot of attention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but you're the 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 negative. And what's happening is also is the byproduct of all this is deeper depression. And again, the viewpoint is is that okay, this this individual has gender dysphoria. They have depressional issues. Let's help solve their depressional issues by affirming what they would desire to be. But then what's happening is, is that it's just leading to deeper depression. And if you're not accepted, you know, by your parents or by, your, by whomever, then those people are labeled as transphobic, right? And that just brings more kind of effort. Oh, I see. Okay, they're, they're just afraid of me. They're the, they're the bigots, right? And I need to I only listen to those who are affirming me, right? So it just creates a, a huge mess. So let's, um, let me give you kind of the goal that's happening with this germ, germ, gender-affirming affir- care. It's, the goal is to align the patient's body with the way that they think about themselves. The goal is to align the patient's body with the way that they think about themselves. So let's kind of, I, I, I think we talked about this a while back, but I, I, think when it, when, I think when transgenderism really kind of hit the mainstream was Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner, right? I think that's when it became like, oh, what? He did what? He, he's a she now? Wasn't he like the man? Like he won the, you know, he won the gold medal. He was like the best athlete in the world, and now he's a, a woman, Right. And, and Bruce Jenner is very, um, it, he ended up, he, he himself is confusing because he still like dates women. Yeah, I, I don't even, he still dates women. And he's like, so, like he's actually like, he's a Republican. <laughs> he's conservative. Like, it's just the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. Like, it doesn't really, it just, it doesn't compute. Like, it just doesn't, it, Bruce, Bruce, we should call him Bruce because that's what he really is, he's a man. He is he, confusing. Like, he's confusing. My personal experience, which is obviously I only know a few, but the men who transition to women have almost always continue to have relationships with mm-hmm. and So they have their own issues with their body. Right. But it didn't, like sexually, nothing changed. Right. 
Right. It is. It's very strange. It's very strange. It's strange. It's very, very strange, which gets into the Romans 1 passage of God, like, God's leaving them over to just, you know, uh, crazy ways, right? And wicked ways. Um, I'm going to mention a few things. We've talked about this pretty pretty extensively, and I don't want to kind of go, we've already talked a lot about this, but this is as a review and just to kind of help us continue to keep this in our in our for us is that God created man and women in his image, right? We see this in Genesis chapter 1, 27 through 28, verse 31. He created them, um, he created them in his image, man and woman in his image. Uh, man and women are, are equal in dignity and value and worth before God. But there is biological differences between men and women as a wonderful part of his creative design or the creator's design. God, when God created man and woman in his image, he said it was good. Very good. Um, behold, it was very good. So God's design is very good. It's not, there's not a mistake. There's not a misstep by God. God created man and woman, and, he, and it was very good. No gender dysphoria uh, in the garden, no internal conflicts, no discontentment by Adam and Eve. It wasn't like Adam was like, I kind of don't feel like, I, I feel like Eve. Like, I think I'm more like Eve. There wasn't any of that in the garden, right? Um, because again, if you if you if you consistent if you kind of continue to think, well, okay, like the, what's going on? What people are thinking is is that um, that really gender is it's subjective. It's purely subjective. Whatever you feel you are is what you are. So again, if Adam like I don't feel like a man, I feel like a woman. Then I am a woman. Um, but that's gender and your, your biological sex. That's a synonym of, of, of gender and sex are synonyms of one another. They're not two different words. But yet the culture is using them as two different things. There's biological sex, there's chromosomes, but then there's gender, which is actually a psychological word and a subjective term and a cultural term. And so you define gender culturally, not objectively. That's what's going on. So, um, so when we think about gender, when we think about, I, let me just read one, uh, Psalms 139. You formed my inward, inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God created men and women. There isn't like, well, they're just a body. They're just molecules. And then when they come out of the womb, they're genderless until they determine what they are. That's not, that's not what Psalms 139 says. So if you're a woman in this room, God knew that in the womb. He knitted you together to be a woman for his purposes, by his design. Is that a mistake? So there's a physical body. Um, being, what it means to be, have a gender is to have a physical body. Flesh and bones and chromosomes and hormones and DNA and cells and blood. It's, it's a physical thing. Um, also, we, we've talked about this, that God has not only created you with a physical body, but he's giving you dispositions. There's male and female dispositions. There's masculine and feminine dispositions and inclinations, strengths that he has given you, right? And we've talked about this. 
And we see these formalized in the home and in the church, but also in the workplace, right? We've talked about this, that you live out those dispositions, men, the way that he, put, you know, he placed Adam in the garden to keep and to, and to guard the, land, the, 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 the garden. And, Adam, and Eve was created to help, to be a helper. And you see those dispositions uh, within the, in the home and in the, in, in the church, in the workplace, but we have to also remember that at times, at times, there is a cultural expression of gender. And this actually, you actually see this in the majority, like, we'll just be honest. If you have, if you have a little boy, what, what toy are they most likely to play with? I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying most likely. A ball. For little girls, what are they most likely to play with? Yeah, most likely, right. What colors do we most likely put in girls? What colors do we most likely put in boys? So you see this cultural expression, and actually the majority of society follows those expressions. It's interesting. While people go, well, gender's subjective, but yet you see more often than not these two kind of paths, right? Girls, you put in pink. They take, they take these toys. Or, and there, there are exceptions, right? There are exceptions. Uh, but there are times in, in history where men wore tights. So wearing tights does not make you a woman. There are times in history where men wore wigs. That does not make you a woman. The Roman soldiers wore skirts. Wearing a skirt does not make you a woman, right? Are you going to say something? Kilts. Yeah, kilts, right? These are, these are uh, and, and actually in France, especially during the 18th century, a lot of men wore makeup. But that does not make you a woman if you wore makeup. Now, let's just change it, though, the cultural expressions. If I come in here wearing tights with a skirt, with a wig, and, and I had makeup, what would, your, what would your thoughts be? I lost a bet. <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing drag. I'm doing, like, I'm doing drag is actually the expression, right? I'm doing drag. It doesn't fit our cultural expression anymore, right? There is that that we have to, we have to think through as well. Um, but there are preferences for clothes and hairstyles and colors. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily spell these things out like, oh, men only should wear this and women should only wear this, Right? But we do see in 1 Corinthians 11 that there is actually cultural expressions that are biblically prescribed. Um, if you go to your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 4 through 6. And what really Paul is saying is exactly what I'm saying is that whatever the cultural expression for men and women, you should follow that because if you don't, what you're doing is you're drawing attention to yourself and you're actually presenting yourself as a rebel against what God created you to be. Hence why men should not do drag. They should never do drag. Because what it's doing is, is that it is, it's somewhat of a mockery and it's drawing attention to what God had created him to be, which is to be a man. And he should express that in society and in, in the community. Uh, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
that every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So it's the same as if her head was shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. It's what, what Paul is saying is that women should not come into the community of believers with her head uncovered. Nor should she shave her head because it's disgraceful, right? But if you look at verses 14 and 15... We're not looking at them, I'm just sorry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead, sorry. <laughs> so it says, does not even nature itself teach you blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and, and that's I, right. What do we see in nature? Because usually the male in nature is the most decorated, like a turkey, for example. So I'm just curious what, but anyway, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's about ornamentation. I think no. it's about what is typical for the gender. Right. Okay. Right. And why the Bible says like men should not be, um, should not, what's the terminology? Have long hair. So, it, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the sideways. <laughs> so even the Bible states men should not act femininely, Right. They shouldn't, you know, and you know what I mean by that. If a man, if a man starts acting like a woman, in the way that he physically dresses, the way that he talks, the way that he carries himself, it's a mockery on what God has created him to be, which is to be a man. Um, so let's talk about, we've talked about it in detail, but let's talk the secular view here. Okay, this is the biblical view, Right. God has created you, either male or female. Um, now, he's created you with this position. Yes? Are you going to explain why women don't have to cover their heads down? No. Like, like, my point... It's a, well, yeah, but I think when we talk about women and how they present themselves in a way that is um, respectful to their who they are as a, as a, as a woman, right? Um, you know, and I think in, in some, and, and that changes culturally. Like at one point in time in America, it was very common for women to wear like dresses, right? Especially to church, right? And men didn't wear dresses to church, right? They wore suits, right? Now, if a woman had come into church and wore a suit, that would seem disrespectful, right? And I think, and so in our culture today, I'm not sure what that, maybe you all have a better answer to that, Yes. A woman would wear a head covering from the day she was married on, um, even until after uh, her husband's death. Uh, she would just simply wear a different head covering. But a woman who didn't have a head covering would be available, so to speak. So if a woman was married, she would wear her head covering, and it would be disgraceful for her to uncover her head, even in a place of worship. Um, so... For the man, like it's speaking of the husband and the wife right here, so mm-hmm. for a woman to literally have her head covered, that's what that means, is she's no longer available. She belongs to the man, the man belongs to God, and as it says in Ephesians, she surrenders to him as he surrenders to the Lord. There you go. <laughs> huh? I'm just like, I'm not leaving it at like the have to be head covered. So that, so so you're just making a point about culture, so that changes. But culture does change. Right, right. It was normal for the culture at that time. Yes, yes. 
Because a lot of times if you do something like out of the ordinary, you draw attention to yourself, right? And, and that is not something, you know, that is encouraged by any way scripturally. Um, but I think it also goes back to this, the respect and what it means to be a, a, a woman of God and how you present yourself, right? And I think that is important. And if you act in ways that, like, again, like, I think that if you come into a church and yet you know, women wear dresses and you come in wearing a suit with a tie, that's it's a mockery of what God created you to be, which is to be a woman, right? Um, and you're actually not embracing cultural expressions. You're actually re- rebelling against them and acting like the opposite sex. And that is not godly or biblical or what you're called to do. And wouldn't that tie into having orderly service without disruption? Without disruption, absolutely. Because even today, when like, in high school products, the, the girls who want to get a prom wear a suit, the guys who yes. like, it's a disruption. It's disruption, yeah. It caused a lot of like, media um, to get involved with that stuff, but it's just so disrupting for people. To do that in a church setting would be taking away from our focus ought to be oh, even outside of the cultural norms. <clears throat> Yeah, that's good. Um, and so, again, like when we think about this, is that gender is psychological. This is the secular view. It's an inner sense of identity. It's socially defined. Um, diverges from the biblical view. And we create gender... We, we create, like, we, we create preferences. We create, we create what a woman should be and what a man should be. It's all really based off our cultural or subjective um, terms. Um, babies are, and toddlers are genderless until they determine what they want to be. Um, Not if you're changing their diapers. Right. That's the truth. <laughs> and gender is a gift from God, and it's a it's the holistic God, a gift. Like you're not just given a mind by the Lord and a heart by the Lord and feet from the Lord. You're actually given a gender as well, right? This is what you're given. It's a gift. Um, your body, your identity, and your disposition and roles are all given by God. Are there any questions up to this point? Well, I was just going to say, you know, sometimes they can carry it way past gender because I feel like a tree. And, and I mean, I see that it, at some point, you know, you, it's, it's crazy. And you, there is, I mean, there is, yeah, that's out there too of like, you know, you identify with a fox or a cat and you put yourself in cages. Um, and litter boxes, yeah. 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 But again, this is kind of extreme romanticism, secularism, extreme subjectivism and relativism where you there's no objective truth. It's all relative. Therefore, if I if I feel like a cat, then I am a cat. What are you to tell me otherwise? And we kind of like chuckle because it is it is ludicrous. But in some ways, the world, since it's not. It doesn't have the biblical worldview is is cracking right in our society, and so people aren't grounded in thinking. No, 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 no. Wait, there's an objective truth. God created you as a human, 
And as a human, you're either male or female based off God's creation of you. You are not a cat. <laughs> well, it's like a slippery slope. It's man and woman. It's how, how God made you. Now we've allowed it. Oh, I can change that. So I can change it. Anything. I can change anything. Right. I identify as a non, I don't pay taxes. Right. Right. That's right. That's funny. But that's why you get into the non-binary gender fluidity. Uh, I think it's, um, is it, oh, wait, it's, um, oh, what's the, yeah, no, but what's the, what's the app? Uh, Tinder, Tinder, right? Tinder. They have like a ton and tons and tons and tons of gender identifications and labels. They don't just have male, female. They have a, like tons and tons and tons and tons and tons. Yeah, and all these other offshoots of. Yeah. yeah. But, but you, know, you know, it's like, too, we, we despise authority. Right. And, and when you begin to despise authority, I mean, the end result of that is that you become enslaved by your own self, your own passions, because you, there, there's no authority, so I can be anything I want, and it's almost like you're free floating and, and there's no anchor. And, right. And it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, what, what we're seeing, okay, what we're seeing is the, the results of the fall. Okay. What gender dysphoria and people's confusion with what they are is a byproduct of the fall. It's a byproduct of sin in the garden. It's um, a byproduct of, of sin entering the world. And therefore there is confusion, right? There is confusion on what is, what is true and what is not true. There's confusion on what is male and what is female, right? There's confusion. People are broken. I mean, they are morally broken. They are mentally broken. They're emotionally broken. Uh, they're spiritually broken. They're broken, like holistically broken, right? Um, our hearts are broken. Uh, Romans 1, 18, they suppress the truth about God. Verse 21, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's broken. The hearts are broken. The minds are broken. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's what's going on. Like, and again, all these things that we've been talking about are super sad. They are infuriating. I mean, they, as I could tell some of you, I mean, when we talk about it, it's just like, especially when you talk about children and kids, it's just like you want to just come out of your skin, right? And I think, and that's, I think that is an appropriate response to the issues of the fall. I mean, death is a reaction to the issues of the fall, right? Yes, sir. Just kind of uh, went to something that I think we're not hearing. Why are not the animal kingdom having any kind of problem? The reason is they're not fallen. Right. Well, and, and also they're not created in the image of God. Right. And their instincts are from God, and they just more or less carry it out. Um, they don't have to question, you know. <laughs> but that gives it, it even understands like the like we were creating the image of God. We were able we were able to think, 
We're able to reason. We're able to uh, identify that we are creatures of God and we worship him. We respond to our creator in worship. Well, the, Im- the impact of the fall creates that reasoning to be corrupted, right? It's been corrupted. So now people are like, I'm confused. I am a man physically, but I feel like a woman. What do I do? I'm a- I wonder if I should change my gender, or maybe I should become a woman, maybe that will make me happy, right? Maybe that will fix my, my aching and my pain. But really the answer is, is that they're a sinner who needs Jesus. They need Christ. Christ brings order and peace to your fallen nature, but they don't there's have a, Christ. There's a relief in submitting to him because I'm not in charge and, and not knowing what to do. Right, right. I do think it's really important what you just said about pain and suffering being the root cause of a lot of people's gender confusion. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to share a very quick personal experience, I had a friend in high school who was a lesbian, Mm -hmm. not trans woman, but she told me honestly that the reason she chose to be a lesbian was because her father raped her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she was, because of that horrific experience, that scarred her psychologically, and she could not stand the idea of ever being with a man. And I saw a documentary of a trans woman, or I guess it wouldn't be a trans woman, a woman who wanted to become a man who said the same thing. This was in a liberal, a liberal documentary, um, <coughs> secular, secularly produced. She acknowledged, I want to be a man because I'm terrified of being a woman. Oh, yeah. Because she admitted, like, she was just scared of being a woman in a, in a world where there's so much violence yeah. against women. Sure. And so I think that sometimes, you know, there's other things at play, but I think it's important for us. Often to there is. There is often a yeah. lot of pain and yep. suffering and terror yep. behind people's thoughts and decisions to pursue these kind of lifestyles. It's yep. not always, I just want to rebel. Right. Right, right. I was sitting at a church one time with a friend of a friend, and he was telling me about as a child he was abused by his uncle, molesting. Went to a church to receive therapy because he was struggling with um, sexual identity, and then he was shocked at it. Mm. Like, so not only did he get abused by his uncle, but he got abused by the church. Yeah. And you just sit there and you're just like, I'm so sorry. Yep. I, like, this is not God yep. intended for the church to do. Mm-hmm. And now he's lost as lost can be. And, yeah. right? and he's embracing yep. his homosexuality. Yep. yep. But the church gets so caught up in the politics of the situation that they forget that like, these are just hurtings. Right, right. They don't have God. Uh, I want to state. the suicide rate with trans? Uh, it's very high. It's very high. It's, it's, it's higher than the average, the, the average rate, yeah. Because they're. There's a lot of issues going on. Number one, they're, they're being told or they're thinking that if they do this, it'll fix their depression mm-hmm. and anxiety, and it doesn't fix it. It actually makes it worse. But then there's another level of there's obviously a rejection by many people in society of your now chosen gender because transgenderism, while it may be more mainstream, it may be mainstream in some pockets, but it's not mainstream everywhere, and so you embrace this phobia that, oh, now they're rejecting your choice, identity, and gender. And so then that leads to suicidalness. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of the biggest problems. There's a lot of pain and hurt. You're right. At the base of all this, a lot of you know, issues that are going on, especially with kids. 
counseling. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to change. Yeah, that's that's where it's going. It's the goal. Correct. Correct. So I want to. One thing I didn't want to mention. Hold on a second, Trey. One other thing I do want to mention is is that one of the one of the things that brings that does bring hope to the idea is that Christ rose from the dead. That our resurrection is bodily and also gendered. Grounded. Like you are resurrected. If you're a woman, you will be resurrected and you will live in eternity as a woman. Not some genderless blank canvas for you to choose. It's not like going to be like a template, like I'll choose this, 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 and this. This is still God, by God's design. Okay? Christ rose from the dead not as a woman, but as a man, because he was a man, right? and rose the dead, and dwells in heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father as a man. Okay? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Heritage Foundation did a survey from 2014 to 2022, and uh, it was led by Dr. Ryan Anderson, who used to do surgery for people, transition or whatever, used to do, uh, and he said that the suicide rate is 20 times higher yeah. Um, this is Greek. This is all Greek philosophy. Mind over matter. The mind is greater than the body, right? One of the things that makes Jesus' incarnation so controversial to the Greek mind is that God chose to take on matter, a body. The body is horrible. It's corruptible. It's corruptible. The mind is eternal. Why would God ever want to take on matter? So that actual, that old Greek view is very much, is a part of this cultural thinking. The mind is over matter. I feel like a woman, even though I'm stuck in a man's body, but my, my mind is greater than the body. Um, Anyone interacted with Scientology or Christian scientists? You've read about it? Who was? Was he? This, 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 is the, this is Scientology and Christian scientists. Mind over matter. Scientology, I, I, my body is sick, but I will convince my body to get better. Mind over matter. Prosperity gospel is coming from this philosophy. Um, so, so what about like I don't want to get off track, but like the New Age views. Like um, my sister's really in the New Age, and she believes that we are gods, and what yep. she envisions she can have. So if she wants that job or your glasses, then she's going to envision it, and you, she will have that. The universe will give them to her. And we're laughing, but it's not. Yeah, the mind can make physical things happen. So it's, it's still coming from similar philosophy. Um, I want to say this. The important part is, is that this is not biblical. What God did is he created the mind and the body and the soul, right? These things are holistic. He created all of them. Nothing's greater than the other. He created it. He created it good. So this view is not proper understandings of God's creation. That's why it's so dangerous, because it's not from the Bible. <laughs> um, so what do we do? What do we do 
with people that we know? Or how do we interact with neighbors in a world of gender confusion? Uh, let me provide some, and I'm not going to, it's difficult, okay? I had, I'll just tell you, I had a student in my college ministry, I may have mentioned this before, and it was a woman, um, and she wanted to be called Jackson, and she dressed like a man, and she was in the process of taking hormones and becoming a man. Um, and she came to our church. She was involved in our ministry. We ministered to her, and we loved her, but we did not affirm her decisions and her actions. Um, did you call her Jack? We called her Jackson um, because that's the only name that she really gave us, um, but we never called her a he. Now, she never made that a part of like, this is my preferred pronoun, and I would prefer if you would do that. She never did that. It's almost like it was very interesting about her is that she knew we were Christians. She wanted to be around us. She wanted to hear God's word preached, and she wanted to be a part of the worship. But she was, there was a lot of confusion. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion. Um, and I'll be honest, there were some people in our church who did not embrace her very well. Uh, and when I mean embrace, I'm not saying like called her by her preferred pronoun, but literally ignored her and did not talk to her um, and had issues with her being there. And I had a problem with that. And I think the issue is, is a posture of compassion and love, but not compromising on biblical truth, right? And I think some people struggle with that. They think, well, I'm not going to compromise, and so I'm not even going to show compassion. And I find, I find issues with that biblically. I find issues with that biblically. Um, and I think it does take wisdom, especially if you're in a position of, like, you're working at a school or you're working somewhere that you're required to call people by their preferred pronoun. Um, you know, I, don't, I really don't have a good answer to that. Um, you could talk to your boss or your supervisor or employer and express to them your views and beliefs on this issue. Uh, and if they do accommodate that, then, then you should. But if they don't enforce you, I think in those situations, I think, you know, you have to follow your conscience on that. Um, I don't think you are a horrible, evil person if you call them by their preferred pronoun or address them in an email with a preferred pronoun. Um, but at the same time, you, you have to be careful. Like God does not create blank canvases. He creates men and women. Um, as long as you do not compromise off that thinking and start to kind of like flirt with that type of philosophy, um, I, and maybe there's a way that you can talk to the individual and express your beliefs to them directly and, and just hope and pray that they, understand where you're coming from and, and you have that interaction of compassion while still standing on biblical truth. Um, there, I don't, I think it's, it's a very difficult situation. I really do. I do. I think it's a very difficult situation. I don't think it's so easy to say, just don't ever do that. Never call them by their preferred name. Never do that ever, ever, never, ever. I think that's hard. I think that's easy to say in a vacuum. It's hard to do in real life, right? It's really hard. That takes prayer. That takes counsel and seeking wisdom. Um, 
and maybe there's an opportunity to actually just, we addressed it with, with the girl we, I, directly and said, I don't, this is not the right thing to do. You should not take hormones. You are a girl. You're a woman. You're not a man. Um, what was the response? Well, it, it was interesting. She understood. She respected our views. And I even said, I'm like, Jackson, uh, she liked NASCAR a lot. Loves NASCAR. Wore hats backwards. I said, you can wear your hat backwards. You can like NASCAR and be a woman. You don't have to be a man like NASCAR. You don't have to be a man like racing and cars. That's okay. And I think that's some of the confusion, right? Some of the, I like sports. I like race cars. I like these stuff. Therefore, I must be a man. You know? Yes, Dewey. How do you look at a person like that in relationship to salvation? It's a great question. Yeah, I think, I, well, say, for example, say, I, don't, I, I honestly did not believe she was a Christian. Um, and I only knew her for like several months. Um, and um, do, do I believe if someone who is, say there's someone who's a transgender, they get saved. Are we expecting them the next day to act like they're created a gender? I don't believe that's, I think that's the wrong expectation. Yeah, just like alcoholism. Correct. I think that's well said. It's all just sin. It's sin that takes time to be removed and have victory over, putting to death the sins of the flesh, right? And you know, when we become a Christian, like we're like a, a young child, we're like a baby, and, and that baby might be born with the ability to, to eat, to walk, to sing, whatever, but they've got to grow into that knowledge and that the, the muscle memory and the motor skills and all of that. Well, I think Christians are the same, because... Uh, when I lived in New Orleans, we had a woman get saved on Bourbon Street, and she was, I think, a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. People just condemned her. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, God expects you to be holy, and she was addicted. Right. And I think she finally just left the church. Because we can't, we can't do like what, what Sean was saying. We can't, even though people are, are not holding to biblical humanity, we can't also break, embrace unbiblical humanity and basically treat transgenders as un, unhuman or subhuman. That's not biblical. God created them in his image, even if they're in their confusion. They are still humans with value and dignity and deserve care and love, but they also need Jesus, right? Like that, I think that's important because that's where, we, that's where we get into trouble when we start to put people in categories like, uh, yeah, you're partially human. Because if you were really human, you would embrace what you are, which is a man or a woman. But you know, you don't have these people like somebody on drugs. These people in this lifestyle are addicted <coughs> to the, life, the sexual lifestyle, too. That's an addiction. We had a young man sure. with us for six months when we were in Franklin. Right? He was trying to come out of the homosexual lifestyle. And after a number of months, he simply said, I've fallen back. Yeah. I cannot do it. Yeah. And his parents were missionaries. I mean, yeah. He was raised in a Christian environment. Yeah. He could not handle it. Yeah. He was addicted to the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets into some, some complicated uh, issues and topics of can someone be a Christian but yet deal with an addiction? Yes. And, and I think that's where we have to go. Again, salvation is by Christ alone not by my faith in Jesus and all my works that then make me this way. So, but it does get confusing. And I think it, we definitely need to pray for people 
and, and hope and encourage them to live according to God's word and continue to embrace them and love them. Let me mention a few things, and then I'll, Hugh has a question. I want to, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who was a lesbian who became a believer, she said, I wasn't saved out of homosexuality, I was saved out of unbelief. People that are dealing with transgenderism don't only be saved out of transgenderism, they need to be saved from unbelief. And the outcome of belief and faith in Christ is a life of embracing what God created you to be. Uh, Russell Moore, he said that local churches need to be ready to receive the refugees from the sexual revolution. When the promise of gender fluidity doesn't deliver the happiness people seek, will our church be ready to receive them with open arms? And the thing is, is, is our minds are renewed. You know, sometimes we let go of those addictions, sometimes quick, more quickly than others. But, but that's the process of, of being redeemed. I mean, that it's being sanctified is, I think, the term. Yeah. You had a question? question. Sorry. I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, and of course, yes, the world has changed. It's it has. Yep. What we're discussing here tonight... Where is this going to be five years from now, ten years? Where, what direction are we headed the way we're going? Uh, I think it's, I mean, <laughs> what's so interesting is, it's, what I find interesting is, you know, gay marriage, you know, passed in the Supreme Court in 2015, and we were on to transgenderism like that. And I think what's going to happen is, is there's actually going to be a faster progression into more, more and more and more issues that people are rejecting God's lordship and the out and debauchery and the and the outcome of the rejection of God is what you see prior to the flood, the wickedness of of the world. And it says God gave them over to more sin, and God gave up. So it's important for us as as Christians to proclaim, continue to proclaim the gospel. And, and as, I think as Russell Moore says, be ready when people realize that those decisions that they made did not lead to the happiness they thought they were going to get. And, and hope that they come to that realization before they die, or before Christ returns, right? Um, yes, Dewey? The, the government's going to embrace more of this, yeah. not the opposite. Because, again, this is not stopping. We've been on this path since 1776, and it's not stopping. The, 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 the foundation philosophically is you are what you feel like you are. You have individual rights to determine who you are, and we're not going to get in the way of that. So just, just do not, don't, don't be shocked when you see more and more, more laws being passed or things being affirmed that because of these values. Yeah, sorry, Dewey. The other thing I think you have to think about as far as our relationship to a gay person or whatever. Um, I know of several people, uh, Ernie Prime, for one, he was saved when he was five years old. All right. Ernie grew up in an environment that caused him to keep on being saved, so to speak. But what if that child does not have that environment and they become gay after a while or they become alcoholic after a while. They're still saved when they are five years old. And we have to take that into account. And do we, we do have some passages of Scripture. Like, how do you know someone's saved? Well, look at their fruits, right? Um, now, we don't know the hearts of people. Only God does. But there are evidence of, okay, someone who's a follower of Christ does things and shows 
fruits of righteousness, right? But that doesn't mean someone who falls into sin, right? They fall into addiction. They are dwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the hope is, is that they are restored and find victory over that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in them, right? And that's the importance of the church, the importance of God's word, the importance of prayer. All these things are important because they are the means of grace by which the Holy Spirit reminds people, hey, you're a follower of Christ. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You're a spiritual person. Repent of your sins, right? Important to fellowship. Important to fellowship. Yeah, Trey. You already gone over Timothy 3. I'm, yeah, I had it in my notes. Um, we can read it. Um, yeah, go ahead and read it if you have it open. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing power to us and hated by others and hated by the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior here. Right. Very good. Yeah. It's a good passage. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You were once like this, right? As Paul says to the church in Corinth. You got a question? Um, I know class is over, but I just wanted to throw out there really quick another facet of this conversation we just haven't touched on. I really want to encourage all the parents in the room to have open dialogue with your kids about this topic. And just speaking from personal experience, when I was in high school and I had that lesbian friend as a Christian, I had all kinds of questions and doubts and confusions. Was it okay for me to change clothes in the same room as her? We were paired up as dorm partners on a school trip once, and I questioned is it okay for us to sleep in the same room? Like, we're both girls, but if she's seeing me in a sexual way, that makes me uncomfortable, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to think, and I want to love her, but I don't want to ostracize her or make her uncomfortable. Like, I'm trying to witness to this girl. You know, and because of that, that experience, it's something that, I'm, that I can say as a previous teenage Christian facing that kind of issue in the world, that was like 20 years ago. I did not at the time feel like I could go to my parents and say... I have this lesbian friend. How do I deal with her in a Christian way that doesn't compromise my chance to witness to her and, and pull Christ into her? So please, you know, talk to your kids about these topics and talk about them openly so that as they encounter these issues even more than we did, that we can talk to them and sometimes say, look, I don't know the right answer for this either. I don't know if you should call, you know, he, she in your class by their, you know, correct pronouns or... You know, maybe you decide as a family that, yes, you should do that at school, but that you should know that this is what God says about it or whatever. But I just think that's something that we need to keep in mind is it's not just about teaching our kids this is right or wrong. It's about trying to help them navigate how crazy, you know, the things they're going to encounter are. Let me present two books to you uh, for kids. God Made Boys and Girls. This is actually in the crosswalk. God made boys and girls. If you want to start having these conversations with your kids, you really can't start too early, to be honest with you. And then there's a book that's more of um, um, and that, it's not super academic, but it's not for kids. It's called Wonderfully Made. Um, May I say something? Else? Yeah, go ahead. 
Heidi was saying, uh, if your child too might be uh, might be victimized too, like I can't believe you're so homophobic. Right. If you were to say something, like I mean, they'd be scared to speak up. I mean, look at the KDs, right? The Kappa Deltas. I can't remember what college it was, but they accepted a a trans uh, or a guy that was transitioning still had the male parts and then the girls that said that he was creepy they they went to like sorority trial yeah yeah yeah, they, yeah. The girls sorority trial yeah it's yeah it's it's so confusing and it's not, there's no one a lot of times it's it's like well okay now you're transphobic like yeah, that's what you are now um and I, you were talking about it earlier, and I do want to. There is a lot of a lot of people that have been verbally abused. Um, I know um, those who have now become gay mostly were abused as as kids in school, made fun of. Oh, you act like a girl. You must be a girl. Uh, and that's where, and a lot of times, in a lot of these situations, it's not simply make someone making a a binary decision. It's very it's a lot of verbalness and a lot of abuse that's happened that's led to this. And I think as Christians, especially one thing you can help your, your kids or grandkids is, is not only to understand like they've been made as a boy or girl, but to just not be a person who embraces bullying at all, at all. Um, helping kids to love people, befriend people that aren't necessarily like them goes a long way in helping some of these issues. Like it, it has a lot. If you, have a, if you have a kid who's good at sports, like he's a boy, he's good at sports, you need, I mean, if he starts making fun of the kid who isn't, like quickly, <laughs> quickly call that out. Um, so just wanted to share that as well. So and I'm going to pray, and then I'll dismiss you. And next week we're going to talk about homosexuality. Um, and so kind of, kind of continue some of these. And you're kind of wondering, why does this fit under the church and politics section? Because, again, a lot of this stuff is, this is a lot of politics driving this. A lot of this is driving it. Um, and uh, in some ways, in a lot of ways, we're, it's kind of outside our hands in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I think it's important as members of a community, especially if you send your kids to public schools, to be involved in the school board areas because if you're not, then you really aren't really contributing to the societal decision-making on this issue. So um, let me, and obviously from a church perspective, someone who is a member of our church and if they were to embrace transgenderism is a sin and should be held accountable and calls to repentance. And if they refuse to repent, that's where church discipline comes in because there are rules and regulations what it means to be a member of a church, right? So um, let me pray, and then I'll let you go. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, our discussion. Thank you for questions that were asked, and um, Lord, your word and its helpfulness. Lord, we have, you have knitted us in our mother's womb, Lord, that we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And Lord, we pray for, for our, our children, Lord, as they navigate a very complicated world and it's becoming far far difficult far more difficult lord to to stand on biblical truth and to stand on biblical principles lord and um 
Lord, help us to, to train our, 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 our kids and our students, Lord, to think biblically and to stand firm and to not be afraid, um, but to love people and, and show compassion and care to people um, and help uh, Christians to embrace one another, to band together, Lord. And um, so, Lord, we just pray for our schools. Pray for our teachers. Um, pray for those who are involved in the school system, Lord. Um, pray for decision makers. Um, pray, Lord, that children would be cared for and watched over and not um, abandoned to their confusion and their, and their futile minds, Lord. Save those who are, who are, uh, who are confused, who are, who are embracing uh, transgenderism, Lord. Save them. Redeem them, Lord, from their unbelief and sin. Redeem them by the blood of Christ. Free them, Lord, by Christ. Um, bring them into the church. Pray that they would be discipled and cared for. And give them victory over sin. Give us all victory over sin, Lord. And put, we're continuing to put to death the deeds of the body, Lord. And pray that you would... Help us and help those who are, are struggling and, and their gender dysphoria, Lord. And um, Lord, we just thank you for this time, and we pray that you would be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Lesson 13, Gender Confusion in the Church and Politics class. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes, and we hope to see you back.